everybody. Welcome to the Dry Eye Chronicles. I'm Dr. Priya Gupta. And today with me, I have um, Dr. Sarah Durbandi. She is a cornea specialist at the Bowden Eye Associates, an amazing uh, cornea specialist. And I feel so lucky that she's here today to talk a little bit about dry eye and um, dry eye flares. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to join you for this podcast. So, you know, we're here talking about dry eye and um, dry eye flare disease. And so I think this topic has gotten a lot of attention over the last number of years. And we've really, you know, sort of started to understand as clinicians why it's important that we recognize dry eye disease and flares. But I always like to level set, you know, before we talk about any of the specifics related to dry eye and dry eye flares. Sarah, tell me, how do you think, like, how would you define dry eye disease or what is dry eye disease to you? I think it's a great question. It's such a multifactorial, you know, disease process. If you talk to a patient and tell them you have dry eye disease, a lot of times it means to them symptoms, you know, of feeling irritation, burning, watering. And so for that, a lot of patients will say, well, I don't have dry eye disease, even though the doctor might identify it. So in our world, I like to think of it and explain it as an imbalance of the oil, water, and, you know, mucin layer of the tear film caused by different types of stressors. And so that helps patients to kind of um, define it in our way and kind of understand it as a, as a process that we can see that they might not always feel. I think that's so important to recognize, you know, there is a doctor definition and a patient definition. And I think that yes. that's kind of the challenges, right? In dry eye disease where, you know, sometimes we're telling patients, hey, you have something, but really it's not like anything else that they can identify with, you know, like, oh, you know, I have, I have the flu. I don't feel good. Okay. Like everything's very linear, which is quite the opposite of dry eye disease. And, and I, just as you said, you know, how you describe it to your patients, I often use those same descriptors. Um, and one other thing that I love to describe is just the concept of balance or homeostasis. And so, you know, when patients ask about, well, why do I have this or what's going on? I, I like to tell them that, you know, dry eye ultimately is an imbalance of the water, oil, and mucus layer. And, you know, patients can kind of wrap their head around the concept of being, you know, unbalanced or out of, um, you know, kilter with um, the balance of those three layers. So I think those are all great ways um, to describe it to patients, but also for us to think about it. Um, when I see my patients in clinic, often I'm thinking about, okay, well, what part is disrupted? I don't know if you you feel the same way, kind of like, you know, playing detective. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> For sure. Yeah. And I think that's where, you know, a lot of the thinking of, like you mentioned, kind of breaking it up into the different tear film parts, you know, kind of lines up with the metrics that we use to show people that, okay, your lipid layer measurement is low or your tear osmolarity is high. And so just being able to have some tangible proof, you know, especially for those patients that are really, you know, showing up for tired eyes, you know, fluctuating vision and have a harder time identifying that as dry eyes, you know, as opposed to the patient that comes in with a big red sty, those kind of things, something that they can see and feel and, you know, the distinguished problems. Absolutely. Well, and I think that also it's important to realize 
there's, you know, an acute aspect to dry eye disease and a chronic aspect. And so often in the life cycle of a patient with dry eye, that's a chronic disease. It's not something that they typically have for, you know, a short period of time. But over the last number of months, I feel like the concept of dry eye flares has really come to light. And we're understanding and maybe even just recognizing and paying a little more attention to what we might call a dry eye flare. What, how do you talk about flare disease and describing that to patients in the larger spectrum of chronic disease? Yeah, I think that's a that's a great question. And, um, you know, for me, a lot of times the flares can be somebody who has, you know, started a new job and are on the computer a lot more. And all of a sudden they're experiencing symptoms, you know, where they didn't before. I think the sty patient is my classic idea of a flare, that imbalance where the meibomian glands have been obstructed, the inflammation's kind of won out, and we have this huge inflammatory response. Sometimes there are patients, you know, where it's like their flare is in a 24-hour period at the end of the day, you know, and it's consistently happening and then it's getting better, that kind of thing. So I've had patients where I've even, you know, kind of compared it to like dry skin, you know, you have a flare up if things are out of balance or, you know, something changes in your environment. There can be all kinds of different reasons why the flare happens. And the same thing with, with dry eyes. And I think it's interesting and sometimes it's the flares that kind of helps people understand that there's that underlying chronic disease rather than the people with chronic disease, you know, understanding that there's flares. So I don't know if you found too during the pandemic and people working at home that patients are coming in with more acute issues. Absolutely. There's a little bit of a a term made or mask associated dry eye. And I think that, you know, when I first heard it, I was like, "Eh, I don't know, like, it's a real thing. And, and, you know, who knows, is it the mask? Is it that people are on, on Zoom and on the computer all the time? But I totally agree with you. The number of patients that I've seen that really present with flare disease, where they're coming in with these repeated, you know, maybe it's once a quarter or once every few weeks, red, irritated, uncomfortable eyes or fluctuating vision or distractions because they feel like there's something wrong with their vision. And I think it's really helped patients to understand, just as you describe to the patient what a flare is. I I think you're 100% spot on to say that it validates their disease process. You know, sometimes people think they're going crazy. I don't know. They'll come in and say, I don't know, like, I don't know what's wrong. (laughs) But they really are searching for that validation. Absolutely. And so Mm -hmm. I think as clinicians, we aren't always as proactive about asking patients about flares and we, we aren't proactive about, at least I'll speak for myself. I haven't been proactive about kind of talking to my patients in advance and saying, this is what a flare could be like. If you're experiencing that call our office. Mm -hmm. And we sort of assume that patients will somehow get through the flare, whether it's self treating with Mm -hmm. artificial tears or warm compresses, but Um, I think it's important for us as clinicians to not ignore the flare. Absolutely. What you said about, you know, not ignoring the flares. I think a lot of times we'll ask patients, like, do you ever get any watering, tearing, things like that? And people will say like, oh, maybe once in a while. And it sounds kind of light. So we kind of move on from it. But I think that is something that is, is something maybe more important to hone in on and tell them that that's actually not normal. And the fact that your eyes are bothering you during the week, but they get better on the weekends when you're not at the computer or working, those kind of things. Those are things to really draw, you know, some more attention to instead of just saying, all right, moving on, you know, next thing. 
So I think that's a great point. Absolutely. And I think it's, it's important to also even, you know, talk to patients about what their triggers might be for a flare. And so they're paying closer attention, um, you know, whether it's excessive computer use, environmental changes. I live in North Carolina. Granted, we have allergies all year long, but uh, yeah, I do have patients yeah. <laughs> that simply have their allergies, you know, in, in the spring and fall kind of tip over their dry eye symptoms. Um, and mm-hmm. so I always like to say to my patients, hey, you don't live in a bubble. <laughs> There's going to be things yeah. that irritate you. There's going to be times that you're going to feel better and you're going to feel worse. There's things we can do to help you feel better when you are having those flares. I think that we're, we're kind of touching on something that I think is really interesting because what would you say um, the estimated percentage of dry eye patients that doctors think experience dry eye flares are? So like us as clinicians, like g- give me a percentage. What yeah. percentage do you think the, the, the average? Immediately, thing? yeah. I, you know, it's hard to say because I am in a practice, you know, of course, and we're dry eye, you know, 24 <laughs> seven, everyone's got dry eyes, you know, that kind of thing. And um, because a lot of times they do, but so in my world, you know, I'd like to think it's a hundred percent. I think most doctors would be upwards thinking that most people would have, you know, dry eye flares. Cause I feel like you think of the people that are coming in with dry eyes, you know, it's the people that have symptoms. I think most doctors, you know, that's what might be getting presented to them. Yeah, it's interesting. When doctors were surveyed about how often they thought their patients had a dry eye flare, they often reported about 40% of the time they thought their patients were flaring. I'm with you. I think it's, you know, actually a much higher percentage in reality. Um, When you look at what drives patients in, right, people don't want to come in if they feel fine. (laughs) So Yeah. yeah, it's the patients that are having flares and are symptomatic that are coming into the clinician. And so, I think that's a big motivator for patients to seek care. And there's a little bit of a disconnect between patients and the percentage of actual flares that are there and what clinicians might think. And so I think that's a big opportunity for education around um, the importance of treating a flare and why we should care about a flare. Because, you know, as we talked about briefly earlier, I really feel like a flare is a sign that the patient is not well controlled, that they have other things going on that need addressing. And something that I've noticed over time, and I'd love to get your thoughts on if you've noticed the same thing, but the patients that I treat that are having acute flares, I find that they do better. Like if I looked at them on a 12 month basis, if I was more proactive in treating their flares once or twice a year, or however many times they have them, they tended to have fewer flares over time. And they tended to have just overall better disease control. Have you noticed that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. I think it adds some education, you know, to the process. I think patients are receptive to the idea that a treatment that's, you know, has a beginning and an end, they're more likely to do it versus sometimes some of that chronic treatment. So I definitely agree with you. I think that it makes them more responsive, you know, and, you know, treating their own symptoms a lot of times, doing things on their own. Um, but yeah, for sure, you know, definitely with the, the understanding and, and just the less, less flare-ups, it makes a big difference. And how long do you think that, you know, most of these flares are lasting? I mean, is this days? Is it weeks? I, I'd say for me, you know, an average for patients, 
maybe like two weeks, you know, something like that for what I'm thinking of, of worsening, thinking about their eyes all the time, fluctuating vision, styes, redness, things like that. I'd say two weeks would probably be the average that I'm seeing. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say that certainly something that goes away within, you know, a day or so is probably not going to bring the patient into the clinic. But there are patients that have these just kind of low-grade flares even, you know, where they have like in a given week, every other day or every third day where whatever the trigger is, computer work, allergies, environment, et cetera. But I think it's interesting that even within flare disease, there's different flavors of flare. (laughs) Paying attention to all those different, you know, aspects of flare, I think that we can miss it. Sometimes, you know, as clinicians, we sort of assume that flares are part of a disease. And, you know, Mm-hmm. Yes, we're all ophthalmologists, but we learned in school, you know, asthma, COPD, autoimmune disease. We would never say, oh, those those, those diseases don't have flares. It, it's, it's expected. You have a chronic yeah. disease and it's going to be bad sometimes and it's going to remit sometimes. And so I think it's just, it's a neat perspective shift to be able to look at dry eye in that same route. So kind of moving on into thinking about dry eye as having, you know, an immune aspect, it's pathophysiology, you know, in particular with dry eye flares, I would say that it's fairly, you know, not well delineated. Um, And so, you know, let's talk a little, little bit about what the literature says about the symptoms and signs that might be, you know, termed a dry eye flare. So in, in a number of studies, there's um, two or three studies that come to mind where, uh, really the literature is supporting that there is an inflammatory basis for dry eye flares. Um, what do you think about inflammation as it relates to flares? Yeah, I think that definitely it's a strong component, you know, and I think that that becomes the challenge of how to explain all these details that we understand, you know, as clinicians, how it translates to them and how to keep their, just their attention during a conversation about it. So I think that kind of using the metrics that we offer in the office, a lot of times we'll use things like Inflamadry to identify that there's a specific marker that's a, an easy way to show patients and help to, them to understand that inflammatory disease is a big component. I think for you know the patients that present with the redness, the lids, the dilated vessels, those are, I try to simplify it with things that they can understand as inflammation rather than talking about all the biomarkers and the immunity that the eye has, but, but also, you know, kind of relaying to them that just like these huge diagrams that get presented in the studies of all these different pathways, that there's a huge world, you know, this microscopic balance that's taking place on the surface. And when it's out of balance and inflammation's taken over, it can be a huge problem. Absolutely. I feel like I might be on the slower side, but when I look at the uh, TFOS dues to the vicious cycle of inflammation, I think I looked at that circle like mm-hmm. for, <laughs> for a really long time before I, I kind of, you know, like you need an aha moment of like, okay, I finally get it. And if you mm-hmm. kind of mirror those complex charts and graphs, like you're talking about, they really do illustrate what we see clinically. You know, so we talk about there's some sort of insult to the ocular surface, which leads to tear foam hyperosmolarity, which then triggers inflammation. And it requires you to go through that circle of the vicious circle of, in, of inflammation several times 
before you start getting damage on the surface. And so one thing that I always think of is, okay, what do we get to see as clinicians? You know, we can look at the meibomian glands, we can look at the, the eyelids, do they close? We can look at the conjunctival and the corneal epithelial cells. And when we use vital dyes, for example, I always think that that's, you know, a very inexpensive, easy tool to integrate into your clinical practice if you're trying to screen mm -hmm. patients for dry eye. But when we look at just using fluorescein or listening green um, strips in the patient's eye, you can actually see the consequence of chronic inflammation. So once those corneal epithelial cells are devitalized and there's there's actually staining of the cornea, and you know we can put the conjunctiva in this bucket as well, we know that the patient has gone through several cycles of that uh, inflammatory circle, such that over time enough uh, enough damage has happened to create the staining on the surface. So that's actually a late stage finding of dry eye disease. And so if we're only using corneal staining as a metric for identifying these patients. We really are only identifying patients far down the line compared to, for example, as you mentioned, those great point of care tests. I like to call those like the ocular vital signs, just yeah. the way you go to the doctor's office and get your height, weight, and blood pressure. Those, you know, osmolarity, MMP9 testing, I think are such great ways for us to take a snapshot of the ocular surface and figure out, is there inflammation, is there destabilization, and ultimately try to identify it before the patients get that damage and breakdown of, of the corneal surface. And so I, I agree with you completely. I think inflammation is a big part of um, dry eye disease. I think it's a big part of flares. And um, without adequate control of that inflammation, there will be eventually some consequence um, at the anatomical level, whether it's a corneal or conjunctival epithelial cells. So um, to me, that's, that's a call to action for treating, wouldn't you say? For sure. Yeah. And I love the the point that you made about, you know, when you look at the the surface, which we've all seen and the surface is so dehydrated, the epithelial cells, there's so much staining. The challenge, I think, you know, trying to explain the patient that even though their symptoms may have started yesterday, it's what they've been doing for the last weeks, years, you know, they're using their eyes every day to this extreme that's now, you know, culminating in this presentation that it's not just going to take one drop to resolve this. It took time to get here and it's going to take time. Absolutely. I mean, you're 100% on target with something that I don't think we do enough, which is setting expectations with patients. <laughs> and I want a cure. And one of my favorite right. things to say to my eye patients is, there is no cure for what you have, you know, and it sounds harsh to say that in the beginning, but I know. Um, yeah, but I, but I think it's really important for us to say, Hey, we have lots of treatments. We have long-term treatments. We have short-term treatments. We have to treat your flares in addition to treating your chronic disease. Um, and I think that to me is something that, you know, when I look at, okay, what am I doing different today than I was maybe even a year or two ago? Um, I'm taking a little bit of time and, and, technically taking time of my staff members that are working up my patients, mm -hmm. ask our dry eye patients, you know, how many times a week do you um, feel like your eyes are red, irritated, or do you suffer from episodes of fatigue or their times, you know, how often, how many times a week do you feel that your eyes are inflamed or flared um, or irritated? Are you guys doing anything different clinically to recognize flares? Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, we, you know, do a lot of the same thing within our speed questionnaire, you know, and I think that you make a great point of when you lay it all out like that and the patients, what they might have thought of, oh, yeah, it's a little red sometimes, a little itchy sometimes, no biggie, you know, um, that kind of thing. Once you lay it out into a, you know, a score, a number, you know, that you can kind of compare visit to visit, I think it shows them that, wow, you know, you are kind of above the average, the symptoms you're having, that this really is something, you know, and not just uh, something to kind of ignore, put to the side until it gets worse. And that can certainly start the education on prevention, you know, when you emphasize that these little symptoms can be just as important. Absolutely. And I think it goes a long way to enhance the, you know, doctor-patient relationship. I think the patients that, you know, really care about their their dry eye specialist or feel as though their specialist is invested in how they feel on a daily basis. And by recognizing and treating flares, I think that you're validating a lot of what they're experiencing, which has often been mm-hmm. dismissed by, you know, maybe um, other practices or over time. And I think that it also ultimately leads to better care when you're treating the dry eye flares for these patients because I think their disease is better managed. So to that end, tell me a little bit about, you know, how are you approaching the treatment of a dry eye flare typically? So usually um, for patients with the dry eye flare, it's um, typically steroid use, you know, I'd say is the most prominent type of treatment. If it's, you know, maybe a second or third flare, it can be something where that can be something that they're more receptive to introducing, you know, to their regimen to help prevent the flares, you know, in the future. But yeah, for sure. I think um, the main thing is choosing a corticosteroid for the, um, for the use of the flares. Absolutely. I think, you know, especially given our conversation about the inflammatory nature of flares, I think a corticosteroid is ultimately going to give us that rapid onset of action um, and is going to get the patient to um, back to functional very quickly. Um, I think things that I'm considering when I'm thinking about a steroid are, of course, it's, um, you know, efficacy uh, is very important. Um, but also it's safety. You know, we always want to make sure we're monitoring intraocular pressure. We, uh, in our practice, kind of educate the patients on um, the risk of abusing a topical steroid. There's a you know risk of cataract formation, a risk of IOP elevation. And again, as you mentioned, short-term treatment, right? This is not something that we're putting on patients in perpetuity. Um, and we don't need to because it works very quickly. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think the, like you said, the safety profile is the most important because certainly, you know, we do have patients that get so busy, they don't always keep their follow-ups, especially when they're feeling better. So when we have them on a little bit of a stronger steroid and they're not following up like we want them to, we certainly get a little bit alarmed at that. So Sarah, I think, you know, we've really kind of drilled into the importance of recognizing um, and treating flares, but um, there's many dry eye patients out there who don't always present to the office with an active flare. Um, how do you coach patients on how to educate or you know, inform them about preventative medicine and the importance of coming in and calling the office when they are having a flare? That's a great question. You know, I think that's a really tough thing because, you know, to get somebody who, you know, doesn't have the worst symptoms, you know, to call, make the time to have an appointment, um, you know, it can be a little bit tough. So, you know, I generally like to, you know, tell patients that, you know, when you experience, you know, 
some of the symptoms, you know, feeling like redness, fluctuating vision, you know, things like that. When it's just starting, it's actually the best time to come in, you know, before things get to their worst um, and things get, you know, wildly out of control with their flares. And I kind of emphasize that, you know, it'll be, you know, less treatment, less drops, quicker, you know, recovery, you know, those types of things. And try to appeal to what all patients like of less treatment, less drops, you know, faster recovery. I love that. I mean, that is that is right up the alley of all patients in terms of motivation. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, something that I add to the to the discussion with patients is that um, almost to the T of what you say, I tell all patients that this disease is easier to treat when it's mild compared to when it's severe. And I think it's up to us as clinicians to kind of bring that dry eye flare to their awareness and um, tell them that there is something that we can do to treat them and help them along the way. Yeah, I think that's a great point because, you know, I think a lot of that too puts some of the responsibility onto the patients, you know, of, you know, identifying their symptoms, but also making the time for their condition, just like we make the time, you know, to, you know, add them onto clinic and treat them in the office. And, um, you know, I love that because I think when you really emphasize that to them, you know, you put them in a little bit more control of their condition and how they want to receive treatment. Absolutely. We want our patients in the driver's seat and not being passive. Sarah, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming onto the podcast tonight. As always, I enjoy thoroughly talking to you and always learn something from you. So thank you for sharing your insights. And for all of you out there, catch the other uh, Tri-Eye Chronicle podcast. And thanks for listening. Thank you.